you're tuned in to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to medical and industry experts who will be sharing their thoughts on the evolving trends of AI Digital Pathology and its role in finding effective treatments for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, also known as NASH. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us on Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology, and I'm your host, Cynthia. We're commencing our pilot podcast on the subject of artificial intelligence. AI is here to stay, to enhance and enrich our experiences. In the world of drug discovery and treatment development, digital pathology plays an important role. And our focus is on NASH, a globally prevalent liver condition that awaits an FDA-approved treatment. There is a strong need to gather biopsy-based data that is consistent and fully quantitative, and it is timely for clinical trials to embrace AI to interpret invaluable disease features to reinforce the efficacy of treatments. We hope that you will continue to tune in to our monthly podcasts. In each episode, our guest speakers will share their thoughts on AI digital pathology in NASH, followed by a Q&A segment where our guest will be providing some insights on pre-submitted questions. At this point, I'd like to invite our listeners to send in your questions for our next episode on AI Digital Pathology for NASH to info at histoindex.com. Today, I'm very happy and honored to have with us Dr. Stephen Harrison, Medical Director of Pinnacle Clinical Research in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Harrison is internationally renowned as a liver disease expert and has contributed significantly to disease management and treatment efforts for chronic liver diseases such as NASH. Let's find out what he thinks about the importance of having AI in bringing these efforts forward. Good day to you, Dr. Harrison, and thank you for joining us. Well, Cynthia, it's an honor to be here today. Thank you for having me on your inaugural podcast. I'm I'm excited to to see how this unfolds over the coming months, but I think it's incredibly important and will provide value to the community. Well, as we're on the forefront of potential new therapy and as we begin to understand more about the pathophysiologic features that are linked to long-term patient outcomes. So there is so much more to learn. um, And I think this podcast will be a great venue to help spread the message about where we are, where we're headed, and how do we get there. Yes, Dr. Harrison, we have the same hope and belief. And let's kick off our discussion. So um, before we go ahead, um, I thought it would be nice for us to get to know you, your background and specialization. So what made you decide to become a hepatologist, Dr. Harrison? Well, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I had to think about that one a little bit. So actually, my career in medicine started out in orthopedic surgery. And I, I was fascinated by the sports medicine aspect of orthopedic uh, surgery. And 
as a, a former athlete, I, I uh, had an interest in kind of staying close to athletics. And actually, if I could be on the field in some capacity, that's what I wanted to do. So I actually started my career uh, as an intern in orthopedic surgery. And this was back before there was what we call in the US an 80 hour work week limitation. So we would be on call every other night. Um, I was at a level one trauma center. Basically, I, I didn't go home for the first two months of my internship. Uh, I was too tired, so I would sleep in the hospital. And I was a, a newlywed at the time. And my wife at the time was a flight attendant for American Airlines. And we just never saw each other. So she kindly asked me one evening if there was potentially another opportunity in medicine that that I would like that would allow uh, um, some sort of uh, uh, life outside of work. I guess I, I jumped off into looking for alternative, uh, uh, you know, avenues to study. And, and my mentor at the time asked me uh, what I liked. I said, I love doing procedures. And he said, well, why don't you try gastroenterology? And so we did a internal uh, switch and I, I did a rotation in the GI clinic and, and was really fascinated by endoscopy. And so I, I made the switch uh, to medicine. I endured uh, three years of medicine, then I was chief resident for a fourth year. And, and during that, uh, that time frame, I, I really got to know the field of gastroenterology better and, and continued to do some scoping on the side, uh, you know, uh, under the guidance of, of the fellows and, and the staff. And then I started my GI fellowship. And, and this is, this is actually a very true statement. Bruce Bacon from St. Louis University came down as a visiting professor and gave a talk on hepatitis C. And we had a chance, this is as a first year fellow now, we had a chance to uh, have some one-on-one -on -one time with him. And, and he asked me, he said, what, what are you interested in? And, I, and I, I wasn't sure what I was interested in at the time. But I knew I saw a lot of fatty liver at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. <clears throat> and so I, I said, well, I, I, I'm interested in fatty liver in the sense that there's not a thing we know about it. There's, this was back in 1999. There's not much we know about it. There's certainly no treatment for it. Uh, and I don't really know what to offer my patients. And so he said, well, you need to come to St. Louis and do a liver fellowship with us. We have some of the best NASH people, uh, you know, in the world. Beth Brunt is a world-renowned hepatopathologist, and she's on staff. There's Brent Tetri here as well. And, of course, uh, myself and Adrian DiBaschelli. And I thought that was just an all-star cast. And, and Bruce has a way of being very convincing. And so... I found myself uh, spending the balance of my three years as a GI fellow really focusing on fatty liver, despite the fact that I went into GI to be an advanced biliary endoscopist and to take my, my interest from orthopedics of being a proceduralist over into GI. And to make a long story short, I did a GI fellowship, a liver transplant fellowship actually at St. Louis University from 02 to 03. And that cemented my interest in NASH. And from there, 
the rest is history. So it's quite interesting. I started out uh, wanting to be an orthopedic surgeon, and I and I wound up being a, a transplant hepatologist with a focus in fatty liver disease. So that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Wow, Dr. Harrison, that is really, really a journey from different disciplines uh, that you've told us about. And during that time where you said you started your fellowship in, um, you know, looking into fatty liver, was it was it well known? Was it, um, you know, something that was starting to get prevalent? Not really. In, in fact, I remember giving... <clears throat> A lecture e each year as a fellow we had to give a grand rounds lecture at the University of Texas Health Science Center here in San Antonio and it, it's a very intimidating scenario uh, you're, you're in front of all these professor emeriti and full professors and people that are really icons in their field and and I I was able to witness several of my colleagues go under the gun and do their presentations. And there it was learning, um, a learning environment where uh, you, you tried to present as much information as you could so that you would at least look presentable when you attempted to answer their questions. And so when it became my time, uh, I decided to give a talk on Nash, and it's a one-hour lecture, but my lecture was only 20 minutes long, and I went through epidemiology, natural history, pathogenesis, diagnosis, and treatment in 20 minutes, mainly because there was not much to say. We didn't know much about any of those topics, and the questions that I got asked were very minimal because the staff didn't know much about it either. So uh, there was a method to my madness. I wanted to pick a topic that I, I knew that the senior staff wouldn't, wouldn't be able to ask me lots of questions about because the answers were very clear at the time. We just don't know. Now, since then, that was in 2000. In the past 20 years, we have exploded in our knowledge and understanding of fatty liver disease. We have come so far if you just look back at the number of publications in the field of fatty liver in 2000, and then look at where we're publishing today in 2020, it is uh, dramatic, the, the amount of data that's coming out relative to fatty liver. Having said that, there's still so much more to know and understand. And I think very apropos for our discussion today on digital pathology and artificial intelligence relative to this to this disease state. So, yeah, it was a it was a it was an interesting lecture in 2020. I I think if or in 2000, if I had to give the same lecture today, it would take about three hours to get through the data. So, typically we we would take chunks of that. If I gave a lecture on fatty liver today, it would be all on epidemiology and natural history, and then a separate one on pathogenesis, and a separate one on diagnosis, uh, and then a separate one on treatment, because you just can't get through it all now in, in, in one hour. So uh, I, think, I think we've come a long way. 
Well, thank you for sharing with us your medical journey, Dr. Harrison. I'm sure the audience appreciates that and they, most of them would also know uh, much about your, your background. So let's move on to the, the next question. Now you've, you've mentioned about your journey and given your expertise, you would have been involved in many, many NASH clinical trials. So could you tell us more about your experiences in these trials and what is your view on AI in general? Sure. Well, I, I, I started down the journey of NASH clinical trials, particularly in the realm of treatment, a long time ago, and certainly during my fellowship back uh, from 1999 to 2003, and that includes my liver fellowship. And back then, in the early days, the focus was not on fatty liver. It was on hepatitis C, and um, this was the early days of, of interferon and interferon and ribavirin and pegylated interferon, and, and everybody knows the story from there. <clears throat> but there was not a lot of industry interest in fatty liver and and there's probably a lot of reasons for that um, we didn't have clear direction from the fda at the time on how to get a drug approved and and again uh, the interest really was focused on on viral hepatitis so i looked at repurposing a lot of drugs that were already approved for other indications and given the fact that we had such a robust population of fatty liver in san antonio there was we did not have a shortage of of patients that would be interested in looking at alternative therapies besides um, diet and exercise so i actually did one of the the first studies on vitamin e and i, I combined it with vitamin c um, and and we looked at that i looked at simvastatin and um, looked at Orlistat, a weight loss medicine, and then uh, pioglitazone. And, and with a wonderful partner, Ken Cousy, who's an endocrinologist and currently the chief of endocrine at the University of Florida, we, we looked at pioglitazone for six months and we're fortunate enough to, to publish that in the New England Journal of Medicine back in 2006. And, and, and that really, uh, got me excited about, about pursuing additional um, studies in, in NASH. And so we looked at combination therapy with, um, with uh, PPAR gamma and, and angiotensin II receptor blocker. Um, and, and then about that time, that Lord of the Rings eyeball, if you will, of industry began to pivot a little bit and began to focus on fatty liver and and so uh, then then we began to see some industry sponsored trials coming coming our way so i've been fortunate enough to kind of be a part of nash clinical trials from its infancy and as everybody knows it's kind of exploded currently with uh, any any look at clinicaltrials.gov and you can see a whole panoply of of NASH clinical studies in all phases of development. And one of the things we've learned through all this is, is that the liver 
biopsies in these patients can be very heterogeneous. And, and we know that the disease severity can, can be heterogeneous in the different segments of the liver. There are eight different segments. A good friend of mine, Vlad Ratsiu, published this a long time ago, but did liver biopsies from uh, two different parts of the liver at the same time and showed a 40% variance in histology particularly as it pertains to fibrosis. And we've learned along the way that, that sometimes there's disagreement on um, what constitutes the various components of non-alcoholic steatohepatitis from a histopathologic perspective. And we see that manifested in inter-observer variants. And, and so my overarching thought relative to this question is, uh, I have a very strong view of artificial intelligence uh, relative to NASH clinical trial development, because if, if we're able to uh, augment, and I, I don't want to say replace, but if we're able to augment what our expert liver pathologists are seeing when we do liver biopsies, then I think that's just going to be helpful for the field. But maybe more importantly, it's going to be helpful to our patients that we see every day. And I think we need to always hold that in highest esteem. What's right for the patient? And I think getting the right diagnosis is absolutely critical. And so if we're able to use new novel technology, to augment and expand uh, the ability to provide a proper diagnosis to our patients. I think that's really critical and we, we should uh, invest in that. We should capitalize on that and, and certainly bring that forward uh, and develop that as a technology. So uh, those are my initial thoughts. And to to build up on your point on augmenting what the pathologists noticed in in uh, you know through their biopsies we we want to link that to digital pathology to give the audience a better understanding of of how much ai can help in trials so so could you give us a bit more details of how ai digital pathology can actually help these clinical trials, especially in, in highlighting significant NASH features, what exactly do you think AI digital pathology can do to augment the data? I think that one of the most critical areas in the field of NASH is getting the degree of fibrosis correct. Because of all the features in NASH, the amount of fibrosis that's present is very predictive of outcomes. That's been shown over and over again. In a more recent paper by Taylor et al., just published in Gastroenterology, just really highlights that fact. Paul Angulo showed it even back in 2015. The problem with interpreting liver biopsies with the current method is that it's semi-quantitative. And we 
we look at this and we say, is it stage one? And we break one down into 1A, 1B, 1C. Is it stage two? Is it stage three? Is it stage four? And that's kind of the NASH CRN criteria or the Brunt staging criteria. Um, you can expand stage four if you shift to ISHAC um, and, and add in a five and a six. But at the end of the day, it's still semi-quantitative. And one of the exciting things about artificial intelligence is quantitative histopathology. The fact that, that you can fully quantitatively determine the degree, the, the severity of fibrosis, the pattern of fibrosis, where it's located in the liver, is it portal based? Um, you know, are, are how many how much cross-linking is present? There's all kinds of additional features of collagen deposition that we're just beginning to unlock with artificial intelligence, and then being able to link those specific criteria to outcomes is is one of the next steps in in how we move this field forward. But I think probably one of the, the biggest areas where I see an advantage in augmenting what the pathologist sees is, is that ability to fully quantitate collagen. You know, and it's the amount of, when you think of semi-quantitative assessment of collagen, we, we often get lulled into this sense that, you know, that, that if, you're, if you're stage two, you have twice as much collagen as stage one. And if you're stage three, you have, you know, a certain degree more than stage two. And if you're stage four, it, and, and we, we kind of link this to a linear um, increase in collagen content. But the fact is that's not true. It's, it's almost, the curve is almost more parabolic uh, as you go from stage one to stage two to stage three to stage four. The collagen content in a stage four patient is significantly higher than a stage three, which is significantly higher than a two, uh, which interestingly isn't that much different than a 1C, if you will. So I think using quantitative artificial intelligence is really going to help us understand what our risk for individual patients are relative to long-term outcomes. And so that's number one. If, if collagen content is linked to outcomes, we need to do an incredible job of defining the amount of collagen that's in a liver biopsy specimen. And there's data now published on that uh, showing that, that, that the technology is there to be able to do that. Then the other features of NASH, inflammation, ballooning, and steatosis, all are important as well. <clears throat> and there is opportunities with artificial intelligence to more carefully define and refine those components as well. And, and that there's active work in progress. Uh, I think a lot of progress has been made on steatosis quantification for sure and linking that to MRI proton density fat fraction, which is currently the gold standard 
non-invasive assessment of, of steatosis. And then I think that the, the areas that are still being delineated are ballooning and inflammation. And ballooning is, is an interesting histopathologic finding. Uh, and, and the one that, that I think pathologists have the biggest time agreeing on, um, because not all balloon cells look the same. And, and there's now descriptions of classical ballooning and non-classical ballooning. The problem is to define NASH, you have to have ballooning. And so being able to find a uniform way to, to show what a balloon cell is, is, is actually, I think, incredibly important. And there's work underway with multiple different platforms in the artificial intelligence space, working side by side, hand in hand with pathologists to develop artificial intelligence platforms that will allow for a, a more accurate evaluation of not only the, um, the balloon hepatocytes, but the degree of which ballooning is present and the pattern in which it's present. And all these things then can be linked back to outcomes. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that we struggle with now in 2020 is how do we agree on NASH resolution for drug development? And, and given the heterogeneity of liver biopsies and the inter-observer variability statistics that we see with ballooning, it, it becomes challenging to wrap our brains around NASH resolution uh, if, if there's so much disagreement around ballooning. And so I think really an important role for artificial intelligence is defining and expanding on our ability to identify a balloon hepatocyte, whether it's classical or non-classical, and then to quantify that. Imagine a day where, where we do a study and, and we, we use artificial intelligence to define uh, you know, a liver biopsy having a certain percentage of balloon hepatocytes and a certain percentage of that being clustered balloon hepatocytes, which we know are linked to more collagen deposition, this clustering. And then you treat the patient, you do another liver biopsy at the end of the day, and you show that there's been a regression of ballooning by a certain percentage, or maybe there are less clusters, but still there's balloon cells present. And we're able to link that a certain percentage of degradation in ballooning or resolution of clustering is linked to less fibrosis, which is linked to improved outcomes. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can use artificial intelligence to really augment biopsies today to provide a much clearer picture on what improvement means and how that can be linked to outcomes, which are critical for the regulatory authorities to see in order to approve drugs.
for the treatment of NASH. Thank you, Dr. Harrison, for sharing your view on AI and how AI digital pathology can fully quantify the features of NASH along with its other advantages. Now, in your opinion, what do you think is the general acceptance of the NASH community currently in employing AI? Well, I think for clinicians, for those providers that are seeing patients on the front lines, we fully embrace artificial intelligence because at the end of the day, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, it's about the patients. It's about getting the diagnosis right. It's about documenting how much improvement they've actually had so that we can have a very real, frank, what I call hashtag real talk discussion with our patients about their prognosis. <clears throat> I think I think where we're still working as a society is, is trying to provide a certain level of understanding to sponsors and to the regulatory authorities on how artificial intelligence can be augmented into current trials and what the data outputs mean relative to long-term outcomes. And, and I think the agency needs to see that rightfully so before that can be accepted. And to me, uh, the writing's on the wall. I, I think it's clear that, that artificial intelligence and quantitative digital pathology augments current liver biopsies and provides an additional level, level of granularity and clarity that will only be welcomed by all the community, by patients, by physicians, clinicians, sponsors, regulatory authorities, and anybody else that's that's involved. Um, I think we still have a ways to go in, in bringing everybody together on this, but to me, it's just a matter of time. Let's take a deeper look at the a segment of the NASH community. Now, what about the biopharmaceutical companies? Do you think they are receptive to employ AI as part of their phase two or phase three clinical trials? Yes, and I have to tip my hat to them. I believe that wholeheartedly that biopharmaceutical companies studying NASH and studying therapeutics for NASH see the benefit of artificial intelligence. As long as liver biopsies are part of the NASH paradigm, then I think anything that provides more granularity and understanding of that valuable piece of liver tissue that, that we obtain from a patient is, is uh, going to be welcomed. And, and I, I think that, uh, that biopharmaceutical companies really, really understand that. Dr. Harrison, um, with the eventual approval of a NASH drug, 
how can AI digital pathology help clinicians uh, such as yourself, hepatologists and pathologists in NASH patient care to, to, you know, to summarize some of the points you highlighted previously? Well, I, I think with the approval of an NASH drug, I would say it depends on what the indication is. If the indication is for uh, a late stage NASH patient, but not a cirrhotic, meaning uh, an F3 patient or maybe a, an F2, F3 patient, uh, then I, I think two things. I think it can help in providing a clear understanding of the patients that qualify for treatment. Because again, you're fully quantitating the degree of collagen and we're able to link that degree of collagen to a fibrosis stage. And then I think it's also going to be helpful in looking to see how patients respond to therapy. But maybe more important, I think we can use digital pathology to help take us into the next era of NASH care, and that is non-invasive assessment. Because what we really need to get to non-invasives as our modality for measuring um, diagnosis, you know, determining NASH with advanced fibrosis from those with simple fatty liver, or the context of use of therapeutic um, improvement or, or management, therapeutic efficacy of a drug, and the third context of use, long-term patient outcomes. I think we, we have to be able to take a non-invasive test and compare it to uh, artificial intelligence. I think we need to be able to compare it to something that provides a, a fully quantitative evaluation of whatever we're studying, whether it's collagen, ballooning inflammation, or steatosis. And, and so I think in, in all phases for a clinician, this would be helpful, you know, for right out of the gate, I think it can help us identify more clearly um, who, who needs to be treated. And then after treatment, at some point, uh, to confirm if the patient has had a response that we want to have, do another liver biopsy and assess it with artificial intelligence to show what percentage improvement we had and in what, what specific component of the NAFLD activity score we had and how much fibrosis improvement was shown. And then link that to that non-invasive test down the road to show that, yes, we can use a combination of biomarkers to, to show that patients are getting better. So that's kind of the way I, I see digital pathology helping clinicians as we move forward over the next several years in providing appropriate care to our patients with NASH. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. 
Now it's time for us to move on to our Q&A segment. We have a few questions here from pharma and biotech companies that are currently planning or are involved in the NASH clinical trials, and they would like to hear your views, Doctor. Shall we begin? Let's do it. Okay. All right. So let's take a look at our first question. Now, looking at the variability of the current gold standard in the assessment of NASH, how can we better evaluate AI for reliable readouts for therapeutic intervention and ultimately diagnosis in NASH? I think we've touched on this and we may have touched on a lot of these questions in our previous um, discussion, but just to bring it back to to this particular question. You know, at, at this point, we need to be doing both. You know, we need to we need to do the liver biopsy. We need to provide our human pathology interpretation. And then I think we come alongside as a companion diagnostic and assess the biopsy through a digital platform so that we can fully quantitate each of the components of NASH and begin to draw some correlatory comparisons between the pathologist and the, uh, and the digital pathology. And I think at the end of the day, that'll also help our pathologist become more harmonized on the way that they read components of NASH, such as ballooning degeneration. And I think for all of the sponsors developing drugs, once you get to the paired liver biopsy phase, which would be phase 2B, and in some cases adaptive 2A, 2B, and certainly in phase 3, we should be incorporating uh, artificial intelligence into our pathology readouts so that we can generate the data that we need to take us to the next level. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Now, our next question for you is when it comes to the digital assessment of fibrosis. Now, the this accurately quantifies the important feature of NASH fibrosis, plus identifying additional details of liver fibrosis. Now, given the generally recognized issues with the highly variable scoring by pathologists, what is the probability and timelines for the regulators, now we're talking about FDA, EMA, and so on, to accept the digital approaches for assessing results of the NASH clinical trials. And the second question is, will this require changes of the currently established clinical trial endpoints? Well, that's a terrific question or two questions, actually. I think I can't speak for the FDA or the EMA, but I know they're very good people there. The, the new division director is um, is really trying to understand NASH, understand the field, 
understand from patients the urgent need for treatment. I think his team is is uh, well accomplished in in their careers and and they they understand drug development. Uh, Frank and Annie is part of that team and and I know is is just an outstanding um, hepatologist. And there are others as well. What kind of timeline I, I I can't speak to. I don't know that. My ideas are that they just want to see data. They want to see data relative to all the components of NASH. But when we focus on fibrosis, I think that's the most clear. That gives me the the easiest runway to reach a, a drug approval in my mind with the agency. Why? Because fibrosis portends a worse prognosis. Again, I mentioned the Paul Angulo paper, I mentioned the Taylor paper, there are others out there. It is clear that as we progress from three to four, that and then to decompensation, that that that's linked to negative outcome. In fact, you could argue with recent data that NASH with advanced fibrosis is linked to more aggressive uh, cardiovascular disease and worse CV outcomes as well. So making it simple for a new division within the FDA to say, let's go after fibrosis. And then let's use artificial intelligence to fully quantitate fibrosis. Do we have data on that? Absolutely, we have published data on digital quantification of fibrosis relative to NASH. It's out there already. Let's, let's build on that data. Let's work with our pharma partners to include this as an exploratory endpoint in our clinical trials so that when we collectively have meetings with the agency, we're able to share that data as a companion finding compared with current gold standard of histopathology interpretation by a pathologist or a group of pathologists. And then we can open that up and we can have discussions in various fora, whether it's AASLD, easel, the liver form, NASH tag, and we can invite our agency colleagues to those meetings to have an interactive discussion. And then we can add to that with white papers and editorials. I, I think we begin to see the paradigm shift to one where the regulators would begin to accept that as an additional uh, endpoint. But if we keep it to fibrosis, Initially, I think that's that's going to be the quickest way we can get agreement. Doesn't mean we can't get agreement on the others, i.e. NASH resolution. And I think we should move towards that. But if we wanted to find the clearest path forward, I think it would be focused on fibrosis because we link that to outcomes. We, we already have some published data relative to AI and fibrosis and its correlation with 
semi-quantitative analysis with different stages by pathologist. And I, I think that would that that gives us the best shot on goal. Um, the other thing I would say is these drugs that are in development now are powerful drugs and even metabolic drugs that really move the needle on fat are now showing in a very quick period of time improvement in fibrosis. We've seen that now with uh, at least two different mechanisms of action in the field of NASH, that defatting of the liver correlating to fibrosis improvement. Um, and so uh, I used to think, and this is where the field has evolved, that, that there are some drugs that really are gonna have a positive impact on NASH, but maybe, maybe not in a relatively short period of time impact fibrosis. I don't necessarily believe that's true. I think if you're really impacting fat in NASH, that fibrosis is such a dynamic uh, variable that we've shown in 12 weeks we can modulate fibrosis. In 16 to 20 weeks, have dramatic impacts on fibrosis in defatting the liver or in improving the components of the NAFLD activity score. So it's a long-winded answer to your question, Cynthia, but I I would I would suspect that the regulators are open to the idea of artificial intelligence. And the more data that we can collectively bring them, the more dialogue and open fora that we can have with them, the more uh, willing they would be to accept AI as a surrogate endpoint. It's very good to hear on the FDA's view and acceptance of AI digital pathology moving forward, Dr. Harrison. We will take a look at our next question, which is slightly related. Now, this is a unique question because it comes with three options. So please bear with me, Dr. Harrison, as I read them out to you. Now, in your view, which role of AI digital pathology is more likely to find widespread use in the near future? Is it A, that AI is able to aid the pathologist in their scoring and staging? B, a fully automated tool for scoring? Or C, as a proof of concept pharmacodynamic biomarker? Well, I, that's, a, that's a very forward-looking question, I would say, and, and one that was carefully thought out. And whoever posed that question has a lot of insight, for sure. I'll go in reverse order. I, I think that the role of AI-based digital pathology is going to be more than a proof of concept. It's going to be more than a pharmacodynamic biomarker. In fact, I think it'll be used to help us define other biomarkers. When you have an imperfect gold standard, and on top of that imperfect gold standard, you have poor to only good agreement from one pathologist to the other on various features of NASH, I think it becomes hard to develop non-invasive testing strategies. So I think certainly AI will, will give us a more firm footing on which to develop our non-invasive strategies. I think it's going to be A, but, but B as well. I, I think 
in the immediate term, it's going to be a, a tool for pathologists that are going to actually help them. It's going to help harmonize histopathologic findings and the, the degree and severity of those findings. But I also think, I also think that clinicians are going to rapidly push for the augmentation of AI. Because as a clinician, as a physician on the front line, seeing patients with NASH every day, I saw 16 of them yesterday, several of them with cirrhosis. We've got to get this right. We have got to give our patients the right diagnosis so that we can provide the right recommendations for current therapy and therapy that's inevitably coming down the pipeline. And so it may be that clinicians are the ones and patient advocates, patient advocate organizations like the Global Institute really push hard for fully automated tools for scoring. But I think at the end of the day, everybody is going to benefit from this. Pathologists will benefit from it. Clinicians will benefit from it. The patients most certainly will benefit from it. And at the end of the day, regulatory authorities will have a much clearer picture on what constitutes efficacy of a drug. And pharma will have a much clearer picture on what they need to do to achieve regulatory approval. Once we have a more global uh, agreement and appreciation for AI-based digital pathology. Long-winded answer again, but I, I think A and B uh, for sure. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Now, um, we've actually come to the end of our Q&A segment. And at this point, I'd like to invite you to share some key points. Is there something you'd like to say or perhaps summarize your key points to our listeners and um, what they should actually understand about AI digital pathology and how it can truly benefit the NASH community? Well, certainly. I First of all, thank you for the opportunity to come on and, and be a part of this podcast. I am a, a huge advocate of digital pathology and artificial intelligence, as you can imagine from my discussion over the, the past uh, hour. I, I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, this is here to stay. And I think just looking at the explosion of artificial intelligence relative to pathology that we've seen just in the past year to year and a half, uh, it, it is inevitable. And I, I think as we move towards some of these symposium that are upcoming, EASL being um, at the end of this month, AASLD being in November, NASHTAG in January, we are going to see more and more data unfold relative to the link between artificial intelligence, fully quantitative digital pathology, and current pathology interpretation. And we're going to be able to uh, see how the doors are opening to our better understanding of what NASH is, what's important when we look under the microscope, 
as it relates to our patients and long-term outcomes. And so I would say, stay tuned. It's an exciting time. It's here to stay. How quickly it can be incorporated into regulatory approval pathways is yet to be defined. But I know that, that the regulatory authorities are, are interested in this uh, and they we have their ear. It's just a matter of bringing data in a very clear and concise way. And that's why we need our pharma partners to help generate that data. So well expressed, Dr. Harrison, and thank you so much for being um, truly a passionate supporter of AI. And we do look forward to seeing more developments in this field and to see the emergence of more AI data, especially in the field of NASH. Now, on this note, we've come to the end of our podcast. And thank you so much once again, Dr. Harrison, for, for joining us and for being our very first guest in our brand new podcast. And as we expect more to, to see more developments in NASH, we look forward to having you again in the future. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. It's been a pleasure and, and my honor to be a part of this. And I wish you well in your future podcast. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week on our podcast. Do remember to send in your questions for our next episode at info at histoindex.com. Also, do visit our website to subscribe to our podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you've enjoyed this session with Dr. Stephen Harrison, Medical Director of Pinnacle Clinical Research. You've been listening to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. Thank you for tuning in. Until our next episode, have a pleasant week ahead. Goodbye.